0: Heel Tough Blog
1: Podcast.
0: Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today, taking a look back at the Tar Heels 44-34 loss on the road at Notre Dame to start off what is an extremely difficult stretch of games for Carolina. Uh, They are, as of right now, scheduled to face three more ranked opponents after falling to the Irish throughout the rest of the season. So this kicks off that difficult stretch, and the Tar Heels, unfortunately, fall short. So we'll take a look at that game. We'll look at the box score. We'll go through and talk about some of the big storylines and everything like that. And at the end, we'll also hand out our player of the game. So let's jump into it here. Top storyline, you know, of course, is is Carolina falling short in this game yet again uh, on the road at Notre Dame. They are now 0 13. They have the worst ever record of any team that has traveled to Notre Dame Stadium at least nine times. Uh, And this one somewhat similar to the last game that was played there not quite as many points but a game that carolina hung around in despite many people thinking that they probably wouldn't hang around in uh but again very similar to that game not much defense for carolina and that's ultimately what ends up being the downfall of them in this game against the fighting irish it was you know, a game where Carolina felt like they had an opportunity. I will say this. One of the things that I wrote down first here, even before we get into the box score, this was the first time that Carolina played on the road this season and actually looked prepared to play a game. Uh, they were not shell-shocked coming out of the gate. And that, I, that's, I guess, one encouraging sign. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is you still lost by 10. So... I mean, it it looked like this was a team that was ready for a fight. This is clearly not a team that is giving up just yet, looking at the back half of their schedule and saying, ah, we're probably, you know, there's a chance we might not make a bowl game. Um, We're definitely not living up to the expectations that we had preseason. This looks like a team that's still wanting to fight, but unfortunately in this one, it just appears they didn't have enough, especially on the defensive side of the football, which continues to trend in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, this was an uphill battle. Uh, no matter what they were going to do going into that stadium, that environment. um, I was not prepared for a shootout. I don't think many Notre Dame fans or even Tar Heel fans were prepared for a shootout given the pedestrianness of Notre Dame's offense um, and their ability to dictate defensively. Um, no Kyle Hamilton for Notre Dame proved to be a pretty significant loss. Um, you can make the argument he's the best defensive player in college football and his absence was definitely missed for them on Saturday night. But uh, if this was year one, I think you could leave the game feeling a little bit more encouraged and say, hey, This isn't a bad loss. And look, this still wasn't necessarily a bad loss. You're a 500-football team. Notre Dame is going to be in a New Year's Six bowl game. It's the fact that it's year three, and the things that have beaten you – for the majority of your time under Mac Brown on the road, resurfaced again in this game in a chance where you had a chance to to get a win over a ranked opponent and and try to find a way to salvage what's going to be a lost season. Ultimately, they didn't get it done, and now they come back home to face an undefeated Wake Forest team, 500, and they need a win if they want to have a, uh, any chance of making a bowl game this season.
0: Yeah, I mean they're they're looking at a stretch where they got to find a way to win one of the games against a ranked Wake Forest team at home, a ranked Pittsburgh team on the road on a Thursday night on a short week, or a ranked NC State team on the road. So, I mean, that's this was one of those opportunities that could that- – you could have st- you could have stolen one uh, but you don't and then look I mean there was good reason to think that Carolina had an opportunity in this game you know you had your quarterback Sam Howell, um, who you know played pretty valiantly in this game and that's how we'll jump into you know our look at the box score Sam in this game 24 31 341 yards one touchdown one interception you um, played Played pretty well you know, on the ground. Ran for 101 yards and a touchdown as well um, on 18 carries. Once again, leading the Tar Heels in rushing. Uh, Ty Chandler, not a bad night. 15 carries, 83 yards, two touchdowns. Ripped off a 53-yard touchdown run again. That's actually the fourth time this season that he has had a – Uh, play from scrimmage of over 50 yards so that's the one area where he's been pretty good we you know in the past even with Michael Carter and Javante Williams they just could never really hit those home runs Ty Chandler's doing that the problem is is that outside of those long runs he hasn't really been able to do much mainly because he still doesn't have a lot of room to run Uh, receiving game this was probably the most encouraging area and we'll talk about it here in a minute Josh Downs, 10 more catches on 12 targets, 142 yards, did not score a touchdown in this game. That's actually the first time this season that he has not scored a touchdown uh, in this game, and I'm trying to think the last time that he actually played in a game and did not score because he scored in the game against Texas A&M. He scored in the game against State early in the year that he played in, He scored in the game against Virginia Tech that he played. There may have been, he may have seen some limited snaps in some games last year, but this is the first time in a while where he's played a significant role, taken significant snaps, and did not score a touchdown, but still had a really productive night. Uh, Antone Green, five catches, 83 yards and a touchdown, including the 33-yard touchdown pass. Uh, That was just a great play design. He was wide open as well, but he had a really good night, ran some really good routes, looked a lot more confident in this game than he has throughout the season and then Bryson Nesbitt Flying under the radar a little bit, he saw his first significant action this season. Three catches, fifty yards. He looks like a weapon. He looks like yeah. something. Carolina is going to be able to use him a little bit going forward. Uh, hopefully, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Carolina's leading tackler in this game, Cameron Kelly, twelve total tackles, eleven uh, of those were solo tackles. Cedric Gray, eleven total tackles, nine solo tackles. But there you see kind of the issue. A lot of these guys, their their numbers, solo tackles, not a lot of gang tackling, not a lot of guys around the football to be able to make those tackles. Um, That led to a big night for Notre Dame. You look at their stats, Jack Cohen, their starting quarterback in this one, uh, or Jack Jack Cone, excuse me, uh, 16 of 24, 213 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Also saw Tyler Buckner in this game, two for two, 17 yards, but did throw a touchdown Uh, on the ground. Carolina did a good job of taking him away. That was one of the guys that you were maybe a little bit concerned about coming in. He only had four carries for 16 yards, but Cone did score a touchdown Uh, when he took off. He had three carries for 28 yards and that touchdown run of 21 yards. Uh, The guy that killed Carolina once again this year, Kyron Williams, Uh, he was better than he was last year. 22 carries, 199 yards, and a touchdown. Carolina also struggled to stop their backup running back, Logan Diggs, 11 carries, 42 yards, and a touchdown. In this one, uh, and then you know, Carolina, you know, with some of these guys uh, at wide receiver, you know, wasn't nearly as dominant as he was last year, but still led the team in receiving on the night. Michael Mayer, the tight end, four catches, 51 yards. Avery Davis also had 51 yards receiving and did score a touchdown on five catches. And then Lorenzo Styles, that was a guy that Carolina couldn't really find a way to slow down. He had three catches for 74 yards, and it's just. That When they needed to hit timely passes, they did in this game. Carolina could not find ways to get off the field when they needed to, Um, and their run run defense was just putrid. There's no other way to say it. Um, For them on the defensive side of the ball, um, Isaiah Foskey led them in uh, in total tackles, but he only had half a tackle for loss and half a sack. Carolina did a pretty good job of containing him. Um, uh, Jason Adamiola, uh, he had a pretty solid night, three total tackles, one and a half for a loss and half a sack, but Carolina did a pretty good job of of, of limiting the effect that this Notre Dame defense had on them. This uh, The offensive line did a much better job than I think a lot of us thought they would coming into the game. Still was not a perfect outing, not even close. They, st- they still have a ways to go down there for sure, um, but this was a unit that at least gave Carolina a chance uh, in this game, but... Uh, look I mean we got to start on the defensive side of the ball because it's it's just it's getting old at this point um, this was a defense that was very reminiscent of Of a Larry Fedora defense. And that's the first time since he's been gone that I've really gotten that type of feeling watching a game. But the fact that they simply could not stop this team on the ground at all was blowing my mind. And I know that Jay Bateman came out and said in his press conference today that outside of the long run from Kyron Williams, this was a run defense that still had a pretty good night. Uh, I don't know what you were watching. (laughs) Because you, you clearly weren't watching what we were watching. Um, I mean, look, did they have a ton of runs like that all night? No, but they were consistently picking up six, seven yards as the game went along. Here's where it's flawed. You did a good job in the first half of slowing them down a little bit. They I mean, he, Kyron Williams wasn't all that effective in the first half. That running game as a whole wasn't all that effective in the first half. In the second half, just like you did a week ago or two weeks ago in your last game against Miami, you got your rear ends handed to you in the second half. They absolutely murdered your run defense in the second mm-hmm. half. They put up 234 rushing yards in a half. In a half! A team that averaged hundred and seven point seven rushing yards coming into the game. Shut the hell up with that. I'm sorry, man. I, I'm I'm not this guy that likes to come on here and just absolutely, you know, tell somebody that they're they're one hundred percent wrong. Because again, I'm not a guy that's coached. But come on, anybody that was watching that at home and thought to themselves, outside of that one long run, we did a good job in run defense, I don't, I, I don't know how to help you. That, that right there, to me, should tell you all you need to know about Jay Bateman going forward. That, that should be the boot out the door because if you think that's going to win you games,
1: I, I don't know how to help you. I really don't. You said it was a Larry Fedora type <laughs> of defensive effort. Um, this is a Larry Fedora type of team. Um. Yeah. Of- well. Yeah. Somewhat. Yep. It is a and and when I say that they're a poorly coached team, um, that was reminiscent on Saturday. Not on the offensive side of the football. I thought Phil Longo's game plan. Second-best game plan he's had all year outside of what we did against Virginia back in early September when this team had a pulse and they were still playing for something.
0: To be honest, was that even really that great of a game plan or were your guys just moving guys out of the way? I thought this game plan, because the offensive line still wasn't great,
1: I thought he caught a lot of really good plays to get stuff to happen. You can make that argument. Um, defensively, Um if 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 you thought that that was a good effort def- defensively, I don't know what to tell you. This was another bad tackling effort. Um, were there times Jay Bateman put these guys in position to make plays? Sure. And did they not make them? Sure. But how many times were they not in position to make plays? There was a lot of times where... Wait, it, are you talking about in this game or this season? Because I don't both. know if we would
0: have enough time in this video for oh, yeah. Facebook before they cut us
1: off to count the amount of times that he has messed up. Um, and it's just... it. it I think, as you said, it's gotten old. Um, I got to the point Saturday night when our guys held up three fingers on third down. I didn't get the point of it. You weren't getting off the field. Just give a hand, put up the, the first uh, down. That was on. a motivation. So I don't um, know what that was, but I, and I, <sighs> you know, I, it, we've seen better offenses this year, and you've played better defense. Notre Dame's not a good offense. They haven't been a good offense. They're not going to be a good offense. And Look, that's okay. Their coach is good enough to to maximize their strengths and hide their weaknesses. Is Notre Dame ever – comparing us to Notre Dame is probably far-fetched in terms of what Notre Dame is yeah. historically. No no, doubt. no, but no doubt. Look at what Brian Kelly has built. Is Notre Dame ever win a national championship under Brian Kelly? It's probably unlikely. But you know year in, year out, his teams are going to be physical – they're going to be tough. And for the most part they're going to be well disciplined and he finds ways week to week, game to game to beat you. He did that again this past Saturday with limited talent on offense and his best player out defensively. Carolina got out coached and they got outplayed. And there's really no other way to deny it or try to defend it.
0: Yeah, well, hey, look, Jay Bateman is going to try to find a way, apparently. Uh, and and look, it's not all Jay Bateman. It's on Mac Brown, too. Came out and said today that this was a Notre Dame offense that may have been better than the one they faced last year. Really? Because earlier in the week, you were telling us that this was an offense that wasn't nearly as good as they were a year ago. I, I don't understand. Like, are these just mixed messages? Like, at this point, because they're coming off as excuses. And I'm not... I'm not understanding that. This defense has enough talent. It's the, the talent is there on paper. And I get that some of it is young, but my thing is is when you're seeing every player make these the same type of mistakes over and over again. Each week it's a different guy, but they're making the same mistakes. It's it's coaching. I I don't know how how you can interpret it otherwise because you're seeing guys that even last year were playing at extremely high levels that now are making critical mistakes oh, like yeah. Jaquarius Conley he did not have a good day the other day I have no clue in, in my, I have no idea what was what he was thinking on that screenplay where he tried to pick that ball off but I to me that feels like coaching At this point, because there are so many times where guys take these risky, aggressive angles to the football and it doesn't work out. There is something has to change with that going forward because this is not a good enough team. They do not have good enough athletes out there right now, clearly, as we've seen, to be as aggressive as they are right now. And that's fine. Look, they've got guys coming up that may fit that role a little bit better. But to me, the first few years under Jay Bateman, the first couple years, I should say, under Jay Bateman. You saw moments where Jay Bateman adjusted his scheme to the players. This year, it doesn't feel like that's what's happening at all. It feels like the scheme is the scheme, and if you don't adjust, then so be it. And right now, I mean, look, you can be stubborn like that. It's probably going to cost you your job. And I'm not, I, I don't, th- at this point, I don't think anybody's going to be that heartbroken over it because. You've got no excuse. I've seen plenty of people saying, well, you just have to keep waiting until he gets more talent in here. I cannot stress this enough on this podcast. I have said it week in and week out on this damn podcast. You do not have the time to continue to be overly patient with these coaches. This is not Matt Rule and the Panthers. This is not a guy in his 30s or 40s that is going to be with the team potentially for 12, 15 years if it works out. This is a guy in Mac Brown that is 70 years old and a season like this is probably taking two or three years off of his coaching life because this season is about as stressful as any in recent memory for Tar Heel football. You have a small window to get it done. You need to demand excellence or else you are not going to get this program where you want to go. Now look, if you're wanting to achieve the goals that we talked about when Mac Brown was first hired, which is to get this job back to being one that is respectable when it comes to hiring the next coach, you could probably do that. They have readjusted their goals into being in the ACC championship game Year in and year out, or at least every other year, you—if you want to get to that point—you need to find a new defensive coordinator because this ain't
1: working right now. I've said it for the last year and a half. Jay Baton is not a power five defensive coordinator, and that's fine. That's fine. It's—we're it, not saying that the dude is completely useless. What
0: he did at Army. Worked perfect because of the way that Army worked.
1: But I also I also do believe that we're not as talented as we think we are. Which is fine, too. So what do you got to do? What makes the great coaches great is getting the most out of the talent that they got. Whether it's a boatload of five stars at like Nick Saban or a bunch of middle-of-the-road three-to-four stars that like Carolina is going to get year in, year out. You got to be able to get the most out of them, and he's not doing that. Well, my
0: argument also is that you say that the talent probably isn't as great, which is it could be. I mean, fair. I, I think that's definitely true. Also, the talent in the last in the in this class that just came in, and the class that is coming in this year, is clearly ahead of the first two recruiting classes my thing is is there is talent in those classes you can't tell me that every single player is not living up to their potential that if if that's true then that's on the coaching staff because they're
1: not developing guys yep so So I think I think that's where we're at but I think you, you you said it more perfectly is it on Jay Bateman absolutely I think what we're learning is—is Mac Brown holding Jay Bateman accountable? That answer is no. Maybe behind closed doors, but it's not public. I, it I needs mean, to be public. There's no way you can sit up there after watching your defense give up 44 points to a middle of the road offense and applaud their effort. Yeah. Get, yep. I I 100% agree that, with that. Y- you cannot do that. And then defend that. Because what you just said was, well, I don't care that we gave up 44 points and 523 yards, and they ran for 293, and Timon Fox got stiffed armed him to the earth, but I like the effort. The effort was there. If the effort's there and we're giving up 44,
0: isn't that a problem? That means the talent or the coaching ain't there. I mean, something's not there, right? I, like, I know you can't tell me that you watched that game and you said, "Man, the, offen- the 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 offensive game plan for Notre Dame was that great." The offensive game plan for Notre Dame half the game was hand the ball off and run right down your throat. That what's exotic about that?
1: I know nothing. Mac, Mac Brown's a players' coach and he worked for the media, so he thinks it's not okay to criticize college kids. You got to hold these kids accountable. You got to hold your coaches accountable. How are we supposed to believe you're doing that when we see you in the public and you're applauding the effort after that defensive performance the other night?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, this is the third straight press conference where he's had something where you're just kind of like, you're getting really? Larry Fedora levels with the stuff I, I, that's coming out of your mouth. I mean, I, I, I won't go that far. I mean, <laughs> Larry literally doubted statistical research. uh of of one of
1: the biggest issues. That was not Herbert's finest moment, but Herbert never blamed the media for his team losing football games. That's either. a good point. That's a good point. I I mean, look, it's
0: yeah, it, it's it's getting to the point now where I, you could just tell that he's frustrated. But at this point, it's like, look, you you need you need to be trying to find out what's wrong with this staff, what's wrong with this team. This is not a team that is just. Inconsistent for no reason. Like, is that what he thinks at this point? And it makes you wonder. I know Mac Brown is a smart football man. He wouldn't have been a guy that won as much as he did at Texas, and that is, is a college football Hall of Famer, has a national championship, was on television talking about the sport for how many years. If he was not a smart football guy, he wouldn't be in that in those roles. I, it's just, it's blowing my mind how you look at that game and say this was a great defensive effort. I I mean, look, are guys, clearly, are guys out there trying to mess up? No, of course not. Everybody knows that. That doesn't need to be said. You should be praising your offense for how they play. They were the only reason you didn't get blown the hell out. Like if this offense played the way that they did against Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, you probably would have lost this game by 35. Like uh, and and you're you're talking about the effort of the defense? Come on, man. I mean, just save that. Like at this point, we need to see results. It's just it's getting old. And and look, one of the other things that I noticed here, we won't spend too much more time on the defense here. Uh this this thing now two two games in a row here where the second halves are just completely different. I mean, the first half, Carolina held their own. They weren't great defensively, but they were playing well enough where you felt like Carolina could win the game. In the second half, not even close. That looked like a defense that just had no interest in stopping the run at all. And to me, I think that really shows that Jay Bateman is clearly not adjusting to the adjustments that are being made on the other side. The offense, Notre Dame made the adjustments they needed to. Jay Bateman couldn't counter. And that's the second game in a row. You almost lost a game to Miami because of that. And now you lost this game against Notre Dame because you couldn't adjust. And, again, your offense did everything that you needed them to do in this game. They put up 34 against a Notre Dame team. Look, their defense isn't as good as they were last year. That's still a pretty good defense. But because you failed to make second-half adjustments, Notre Dame ran away with the game.
1: Yeah, Tommy Reese, um, I think if you listen to Kirk Herbst, when Herbie's on a Notre Dame game, he gives them his props. Does Notre Dame have a flashy – Potent offense, year in year out. No, but Tommy Reese's scheme is about as exotic as Tommy Reese. They they are good at what they're good at, and they know how to take take what you do as a weakness and 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 exploit it. Um, and he's going to be a really good head coach at Notre Dame whenever Brian Kelly retires or or moves on. Um, what the big thing about Carolina defensively, um, outside of not being able to make adjustments, that's on the coaching staff. The team ain't tough. They, they, they lack mental and physical toughness. Um, Notre Dame wore them down in the second half. Kyron Williams um, was bullying your defensive team, not, not your defensive line, your linebackers, or your secondary. All three levels, he ran through them. Um, and that's a problem. You can't be a good defense if you're not physical. And we were promised to be physical. That hasn't happened. Um, it's really disappointing. Um, and it's just something that – it's not fixable in season, and that, that's probably the most frustrating thing. There are issues – there are some issues that can be corrected midseason which are not going to get corrected because they haven't been through eight games, but their bigger underlying issues, their toughness, their, their IQ. You can't fix that during the season, which means the defense will be fixed during the season, which means you're back to where you were under Larry Fedora where if you don't score 40 – you're not going to win, and 40 in this game even wouldn't have been enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're to the point now where you've got to basically just every time the offense gets the football, they've got to score. The rest of the way, except the Wofford game, because if you don't, you're not going to win. And that's not a point that you should be at with the way that this group is recruiting. Uh, and, and again, it just goes back to development. And I don't care that there are guys in this roster that weren't recruited for this scheme. If they, if you really felt that they were that bad in this scheme, then don't play them. Yep. You've got other guys on the roster that supposedly would fit the scheme better. No, it's just that you're not putting them in a good enough spot. And look, the execution is not great either. Don't get me wrong on that. I mean, again... This is still a team that is really struggling to get off of blocks, and that's something that has got to change going forward. It, no matter who the, who the coaches are moving forward, you have got to have a team that can shed blocks easier and get into the backfield. And look, there's other ways to do it. I, I think that, first of all, the lack of blitzing this year just blows my mind. Um, I, I think that they've, they've thrown it in there from time to time, but they're not nearly as aggressive as they were the last couple of years with it and you could say well they don't have the guys on the back end that can handle it well I mean the, the guys on the back end this year aren't that much worse than the guys that they've had in previous years to be honest with you now look one of the other things that I put down here is I think at this point we've got to have a legitimate conversation about the number two corner spot right now being an issue because Kyler McMichael as far as I know he didn't play in this game I didn't see that. I did not look at the the uh, the rep the the snap count counts for this game just yet. Um, I didn't see him out there the whole night, so I don't know if he was injured. I don't know if that was he, he was on the sideline after a poor performance against Miami. Not really sure. Uh, Don Chapman looked overmatched. And it is what it is. I mean, he had some moments where he he had good coverage, but for the most part, he's a guy that one of the biggest issues that they've had at that number two corner spot, and that he had in this game, he can't win the one-on-one battles. He cannot win those fifty-fifty balls. He hasn't been able to do it. Neither has Kyler McMichael. Uh, and look, at this point, I think you've got to you've got to just throw the idea of Storm Duck coming back out the window. Yes. That's thats not... I hate it because I think that if you had him alongside of Tony Grimes, you would have one of the best corner tandems in the ACC. Next year is what you're hoping for on that. Um, and that's a guy that going forward, you've got to have someone ready to back him up because there's no guarantee that he can stay healthy. It really sucks because his talent is there. Um, but there are people that are calling for some of these younger guys to get reps out there. I don't know, man. I got to agree with them because we've seen it the last couple of years. I mean, they did it to Storm Duck. They threw him out there against Clemson in his, in his true freshman season. They did it last year with Tony Grimes. They don't really have that, that standout back there this year, at least from what we've heard from the coaching staff, there hasn't been somebody standing out. But maybe it is time to see Obi Egbuna or Dante Balfour or somebody else out there just to see if, if there's anybody else in that secondary that can help you.
1: Yeah. To be honest, is it going to make a big difference? That answer is no. Do um, you know when Carolina's secondary will look good? When they get pressure on the quarterback and they're not being asked to have to defend guys for seven, eight, nine, and 10 seconds. Yep, there's not ever been a good secondary that had a bad pass rush. It's 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 literally never happened. As good as and look I don't think Carolina's got the talent that they think they had or what you might have thought they had coming in. There's talent in the secondary. You can't deny the talent that exists in the secondary. But they they can't overcome the fact that they can't get pressure on the quarterback. And there's talent in the defensive front too. It's just you you don't it, there, so
0: I was there isn't talent on the interior of your defensive front. There I don't see anything that excites me on the edge. I don't. I know Dez Evans is supposed to be the guy that excites everybody.
1: Des Evans. He, might, he doesn't play. Dez Evans might be one of the biggest busts of a, of a recruit in the last ten years.
0: I mean, look, it's still early for him. He's only a sophomore. The guy's
1: literally done
0: nothing. It, I've done more.
1: I, than I, I mean, he it's has.
0: it's it's hard to argue right now that he is he's going to be able to have success going forward. We heard so much about him in the preseason, and. We've gone now eight games into the season and we haven't seen this guy start a game yet. And look, it's not like Tamon Fox is having a huge season. Tamon Fox probably wouldn't even be the guy that would come off for him, though. How is he not starting ahead of Chris Collins? No offense to Chris Collins. He's a guy that clearly plays hard. He is a guy that is way overmatched at that position. I mean, the other night, he didn't even register a tackle out there. And he was on the field for a pretty good amount of snaps. That's a guy that's just not being as effective as you need him to be. You need somebody else to step up. And I'm not seeing that guy right now. I mean, the the, the guy that was supposed to be able to help you there came in Rucker. Well, you can't use him there because you need him on the interior defensive line. I mean, it's just you're... You've got to have other dudes that are starting to step up here. The talent is 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 definitely there, but you, you you've got to see some of these younger guys start stepping up sooner rather than later. I mean, I know there's youth here, but it's it's it, you've got to find some of these leaders up front because right now all that these guys are doing, all these offensive lines are pretty much doing, is we're going to do everything that we can to take away. Miles Murphy and Raymond Vosick, because there ain't nobody else beating us up yeah, front,
1: and it's it's really disconcerting um, because we thought we were going to be deeper up front this year, and that hasn't been proven to be true, um, and it's just something that look, and if if the defense is going to get fixed under Jay, he's got to get pressure without having to blitz all the time. That was the big thing after last year was, okay, well, they got pressure, but how much time do they have to blitz to get that pressure? And Jeremiah Gimmel and Sed Gray and Eugene Asante, they're not the blitzers that Chas Surratt was last year, so you can't blitz those guys. And it's just it's, – it's until you take care of your defensive line and you get – average because they're not even an average defensive line they're a below average defensive line one of the worst defensive lines in the acc you could argue out of the power five teams in college football until that gets better this defense ain't going to get better
0: yeah and i know a lot of people have issue with the actual scheme itself and i'm starting to get there myself uh because i mean when Especially when you only have three or two down defensive linemen, you can't run stunts. It's not going to work. Like there, there's you're not fooling anybody. They there's there's ways that you can get creative when you rush the passer if your guys can't simply win one on one battles, but they're not doing it. And and it's like you're saying. You know, that's where everything starts. These are lines that you are facing that are some of the worst in the country that you are getting beat down by. There is only one line that has been awful that you've had any success against, and that's Duke. And that's because Duke, frankly, sucks. There's no other way around it. Like, that that is the worst team in the ACC, and it's not even close. Um, Everybody else... You faced a Miami offensive line that wasn't good, struggled. You faced Florida State's offensive line that was terrible, maybe the worst they've ever had, struggled. You faced Notre Dame, a team that ranked uh, 115th in the country in rushing the football and was inside of the bottom 30 in the country in terms of tackles for loss allowed and sacks allowed and struggled. You, You can't. You can't be struggling in these types of games, especially when you've got some of the best offensive lines that you're going to play still to come. It's just you've got to see this unit start to take steps, and we thought we could start to see some of that this year. Maybe we asked for it a year too early, but it's 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 gotta you got to start seeing signs here because. It's like you said, if you can't get pressure up front, this defense is not going to be able to do what they ultimately want to. Um, One of the last penalty issues once again, um, nine for 75 in this game. That was one of the keys. Couldn't beat yourself with penalties. And they kind of did in this game. Um, that's something that just keeps popping up. And now I think, as, as they go way in, into the latter part of the season here, that looks like that's just going to be part of every game.
1: Yeah, um, that's when I say they're not a good, well-coached football team. They're not a disciplined football team. You can't argue it because the the penalties prove that. Um, and these are that's something that uh, it's not just the penalties. It's the type of penalties when they when they take the penalties. And they're not good enough to combat and come over and overcome those types of mental breakdowns. Some teams are. Um, we're not one of those teams. And uh, until you get that corrected, you're never going to become one of those teams. So. And, and I mean, look, the ones, a couple of the ones they took on
0: offense, they were lucky that Sam Howell and and, and the skill position players were able to bail them out. Because right, you had a couple of offensive line penalties. The defensive penalties are the ones that just drive you nuts because you're struggling to stop teams as it is, and then you're taking these penalties that give up these first downs. Now, look, the the, the officiating in the game was not great. There's no no denying that. Shouldn't shock anybody because – Again, it's an ACC crew. That's how it always works if you are in a non-conference game and you go on the road. Which is why an I ACC
1: crew comes with you. Carolina fans, you, you might believe me. So I, I didn't get the bitching that came from them. It was an ACC crew. It wasn't a Notre Dame crew. So what? And, and That doesn't mean anything. The ACC officiating is horrific. It has been for years. It's and never the
0: same. It's just they were that was one of the worst officiated games that I've seen
1: in a long time. And I know people were freaking out because Miles Murphy got held on the, the Williams touchdown run. That wasn't even the worst and, and, hole. And and did he get held? Absolutely. Your biggest problem should have been the fact that your sixth-year senior became part of the earth from a, from a stiff form on, a, on the way to a 91-yard touchdown. You want to complain. Don't complain about the misholding call. Complain the fact that a guy's been doing this for six freaking years— Got embarrassed on national television. The officials didn't beat Carolina. No, so don't don't come at here.
0: No, I'm not. I'm not going
1: that far with with that mess.
0: No, I'm not going that far. But there was, to me, the worst one. There was one earlier in the game where Gimmel was very clearly getting held, and they did not. They did not call it. It was. There were a lot, a lot of holding calls that went uncalled. But. That's one of those things where you just got to know. You got to be mentally
1: tough to in, fight through. It. In
0: that type of game, you're there. a team that is ranked inside of the top 10 in the country is going, well, they were 11th, but a team that has a chance to still make the college football playoff is going to get those calls, not you. And this was a team that still, I'm with you. That's not what beat this football team. You think that's the reason that they lost the game? Well, you know, if they weren't being held, the defense would have made plays. Not really. Uh, it wasn't that often. But, yes, there were definitely some plays where you were you were justified in complaining. And the ACC refs, it just is what it is. At this point, you know that the officiating in the ACC is probably as bad as it gets in college football. But, I mean... It, it, I, I just there's there's no way to 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 really explain your way out of it at this point. Um, if you're the ACC, the worst the worst thing to me outside of that holding call that I talked about, how about when you had I think it, what was it a, a Notre Dame player that was injured? Guy was down on the field. They went to commercial. They come back and then they buzz down. Now we're going to review a play. Yep. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I I mean, it's those types of things that just drive me nuts about ACC officiating because it doesn't seem to be that bad in some of those other conferences. But it is what it is. Carolina's got to face those those officials going forward. Um, Luckily, when they face Wofford (laughs) – you'll have the Southern Conference officials that'll be in. So there you go. The other games, you can complain about the ACC refs going forward. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention that was negative before we turn to a couple positives here at the end. I thought, once again, Mac Brown's decision-making late in games, those, those issues that we've had with that, which those, look, those date back to his first game. With Carolina, where he took the knee and gave South Carolina a chance to throw a hail mary at the end of the game, that made absolutely no sense. Um, they, pretty much second time in three weeks or three games uh, that they've th- that the staff just quit on the chance to win the game, if they had any. Carolina wasn't going to win that game. Probably, I mean, it would have taken an absolute miracle. But I do not understand. How you do not kick the field goal before the play where Sam Howell took the intentional grounding. That made absolutely no sense. You kick the field goal, you cut it to seven. Onside it, you never, if you get the ball back, you throw a Hail Mary. Who knows? Maybe you go to overtime. You never know. This is college football. We have seen crazier stuff happen. But once again, the coaching staff and this is mainly on Mac Brown, decided we're just going to play for the touchdown. That made absolutely no sense to me because at that point, you're pretty much quitting on your team on the sideline. You're saying, well, guess what, guys? And I, I, know, what, I know what he'll probably say if that question was asked, which it's not going to get asked. But if that question was asked, he would say right out, well, you know, we really didn't deserve to win this game. Well, guess what? If you're going off of that, this team may never win a game ever again. It doesn't matter if you deserve to win the game or not. You are coaching to win the game. Kick the field goal, onside the ball, and see if you can't create a miracle. Because right now, this team looks like they may need a miracle to make a bowl game.
1: Yeah, um, I- it's, it's something that it's more difficult Excuse me, it's more damning when he's in the CEO role where his job is to manage the clock, manage the timeouts, et cetera, et cetera. And since day one, every time he's put in that situation where he is, this is your solely, this is your job in game, the opportunity gets mismanaged. Well, you sold us when we introduced you as the football coach. You spent the last six years getting smarter at those minute details because you believed that's what derailed you at Texas on top of some other things that derailed you at Texas. It hasn't translated. We're not better in those situations. We don't manage the clock better. That falls on him. Um, and that, you know, yes, you kick the field goal – the the second you get inside the 35, you you ought, in my opinion you kick a field goal, and then that way right there it is because your kicker should be able to make a 50 yarder, and if you make it, okay, well then you you still you still maybe deserve to win the game. If you miss it, okay, game's over, you go back home. Yeah, my thing is, but but you, you don't not try. Has anybody ever apologized for winning a game? Like, I, I, I don't
0: under—why would you not try to do everything that you can to win a game? I, I do, that blows my mind, and they did the same thing against Florida State that just made no sense. I'm like, look, you haven't played well in this game, but who
1: gives a damn? If they want to hand you the game, then take it. There are games every day, every week— Half of the games NC State wins for Christ's sake. They don't deserve to win, but yet they win. You're in a situation where the last 3 the last 4 games of the season, you're only better than one opponent. So you only deserve to win one game. The rest of the year. So that means in the other three, you've got to do other things to overcome that stuff to win football games. Because as much as you want to sit up there and say you got back into coaching to impact child's lives, I, that, that's great. And maybe you want to do that. You're here to win football games. First and final. That's your job on Saturdays not developing men of character. That's Monday through Friday. Saturday for 60 minutes, everything you do is to try to score more points than your opponent. And when you don't do that and then you don't think that's a problem, that's a problem. I'm done.
0: Okay. I didn't want to cut you off there. You were rolling pretty good. That that was that was passionate. Um Now, look, I mean, is there reason for hope for Carolina in some of these last few games? We're not going to do that. On the offensive side, there is. Because you've got Sam Howell played well in this game. I mean, look, he threw for almost 350 yards in this game uh, and ran for 100 more. His numbers this year, um, in terms of what he's doing passing-wise running-wise and passing touchdown-wise, are up there with some of the best that have ever played in college football. The problem is he ain't getting much help around him. Um, And look, I I mean, has he been perfect? No. He clearly, the games against Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech were not good. But outside of that, he's played well enough for you to win every other game. And he did again in this one. He gave you an opportunity in this one. Once again... (laughs) I mean, the fact that he has the dirtiest jersey at the end of every single game, and most of them are played on turf, is a real issue. Yep. And that was the case once again. He laid it all on the line again for Carolina in this one, and unfortunately, his defense couldn't reward him.
1: Yeah, he played. He played good. I know. I don't know if it was his best game. Um, that throw to Ty Chandler on the first drive—you got to make that throw. That. That's. That that play's got to be there, especially when you're trying to go into that stadium and win a football game. That interception that you threw in that situation where you couldn't throw an interception, you gotta. That's something where you got to eat the play, whether you take a sack, throw the ball out of bounds, take off and run. Uh, but outside of that, th- he had a Heisman-esque performance. If this was a if, if we if. Remember, we when we circled this game on the schedule, this was, if Sam's a Heisman ca- a candidate, we'll know at this game. Well, if Carolina was legit, let's say 6-2, and 7-1, and one, um, he would have put himself back in the Heisman discussion with that performance on Saturday night because of how well he individually played outside of his few mistakes. Ultimately, like a lot of his performances this year, they're going to be forgotten about because... It's about winning, and there have been a yep. lot of games where he's played great individually, but the team hasn't won. And as great as he is, well, it's hard to come on here and pat a guy on the back when the team got beat. Well, you're just wasting you're
0: wasting his career. It's really that simple. We talked about that, I think, at the beginning of last year. We talked about how important it was with how great of a player he is for you to start putting wins in the in in. In the win column, and, and look, he's going to have an Orange Bowl appearance on his resume. That's probably all he's going to be able to have at this point, um, because unless I don't I don't think he's coming back next year. Because everybody wants to put him in this category with these quarterbacks that came into the year as some of the Heisman favorites and everything like that, and have really faltered. He is in no way in the same category as Spencer Rattler. Um, He's not in the same category as Keaton Slovis. Both of those guys have been benched. JT Daniels benched. He got injured, but they haven't forced him back onto the field. They've said we're going to stick with a guy that is, frankly, just an average game-managing quarterback in Stetson Bennett. He's not playing that bad, but so so he's – his draft stock's still going to be good enough where he can leave at the end of the year if he wants to. But you're wasting a guy that has given everything that he possibly can on for, for this team over the last couple of years, and especially this year. There is no way that he's not going to have to have some sort of off-season surgery. Or <laughs> this dude is literally going to be like the, the guy from operation with how many surgeries he may have to have because this guy takes an absolute beating every week. And... Again, like you said, he, he did everything he could in this game. He played great. Josh Downs played good once again. The other the, the thing that I think if you're looking for the encouraging sign that this offense can keep it rolling, it's that you, you finally saw some production outside of Josh Downs. Antone Green, five catches, 83 yards, and the touchdown. He had a pretty solid night. He created some good separation for the first time. Uh, in a while, and I think that part of that was it was a good game plan by by, by offensive coordinator Phil Longo, and I think that – Phil Longo wants to try to get him involved more. It's very clear to me that that is the guy that they want involved the most out of the other receivers because Emory Simmons didn't play much the other night. Justin Olsen played. He had two nice catches early on, but it feels like Antone Green's that guy that they want to try to get going. And I think the tight ends as well are starting to emerge a little bit, and they've got a, a weapon and a young, true freshman that is a little bit more of an athletic tight end, more of a pass-catching tight end in Bryson Nesbitt that we may see more of going down the stretch.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that you got to see. I think you've got to find other ways to incorporate receivers in your passing game. I think Anton Green is a guy that you would like to incorporate more, but... There's a lot it's, – it's hard to have a, the 100% trust that he's going to make the plays because he has had issues when he's been healthy on the field. I've been asking for the tight ends all year. I thought coming into the year they had to be more of an integral part of your offense, both in run block, pass pro, and catching the football. It started with Kamari Morales a few weeks ago at Georgia Tech. Now it's it's transitioned to Bryson Nesbitt, a guy that's going to give you a Eric Ebron-esque type of weapon coming out of that tight end spot where he isn't going to be a mismatch for linebackers and even secondary players that's going to be matched up against. More importantly, kudos for getting J.J. Jones on the field. (laughs) One catch, six yards, best pass play probably the entire season because you put them out there. They're the future. We need to see them moving forward. Was really happy to see them go out there. Uh, But the main thing is Josh Downs is just an animal. Um It, Drew, Drew Brees, I'll tell you this: Drew Brees does
0: a really great job of knowing who's paying his bills because he loves him some Notre Dame. He, he, he was loving Josh Downs though, man. Oh man, he was see,
1: loving his route running, man. There, My God, there are when when you're born with the name Josh, you you have high expectations. I've exceeded those it's just, expectations. It's just shocking how you failed. And and, <sighs> and, and Josh Downs is, is getting close to exceeding these expectations. It's, it's it's pretty— Wait,
0: wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Getting close? Who—there's no person that thought. I know there were people that thought that he was going to have a
1: great year. Was, you know, the, Nobody saw this, the, the expectation on the level of being a Josh is just incrementally higher than any of your other expectations. Don't listen to this, Josh. He's at the bottom of the Josh totem pole, um, brother. I mean it's pretty it's pretty remarkable that we kind of leave the game somewhat disappointed when he scores 10 when he has 10 catches with 142 yards because he didn't score a touchdown but that's how dominant he's been every freaking week for an offense that it has been him or nobody. When in terms of catching the football, um, I think Sam Howe
0: has honestly thought about throwing the ball up so high into the air, like a moonshot, that he could run underneath it and catch it as his second option. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we've gotten to
1: that point at times, but so it was. <laughs> it was a positive step because if this team wants to make a bowl game, they've got to score the football. At a pretty high rate, and you need someone other than Josh Downs to help you do to help you do that.
0: Really quickly, before we get to the player of the game, offensive line better, but still a long way to go. I I, I feel encouraged by some of the players down there. I I know we wanted to see more rotation earlier in the year. That was mainly to find your best five. They still have moments in the game where the offensive line is playing well as a unit and they decide to try to switch in other offensive linemen. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Jordan Tucker was playing one of his better games of the year the other night. They rotate him out and put in William Barnes and William Barnes was overmatched.
1: Yeah, I, I, the, the biggest I don't, thing I don't that know. came out of the other night... Was last year Notre Dame physically beat up this offensive line in the second half, and it's why Carolina couldn't run the football and was held scoreless in that game. That didn't happen Saturday. Mm-hmm. Carolina held held up on its own physically, mm-hmm. um, which is more of a testament to this offensive line, I think, because Notre Dame still got dues on the on their defense. They they're, <laughs> they're one of the best pass
0: rushers in the country they're, coming they're, in. They're I go- mean, they're
1: going to be physical. They're going to hit you. They play with attitude. So for Carolina to hold their own. It was a positive step for Stacy Skrull's group. Mm-hmm. Which which has been rather underwhelming for most of the season. Definitely, definitely. So we'll take a quick break. We'll
0: come back. Uh, DraftKings, uh, going to tell you about some great offer uh, a great offer that they have over there for you guys. Um, and, and make sure you're taking advantage of that. And then we'll come back and we'll hand out the player of the game here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. We'll be back to the Heel Tough Blog Podcast after this message from DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this weekend? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and if they do, you win $200 in free bet. Winner-winner, chicken parm dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Hey guys, welcome back into the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pegnata, Josh Marlowe, we're handing out our player of the game now for the game against Notre Dame before we officially turn the page to the game against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, a team that has a chance to be ranked inside of the top ten in the first college football playoff poll uh, when that comes out on Tuesday night. We're recording this on Monday night, so uh, whenever when this podcast is up, the poll uh, will probably either be already out or be coming out at the time that this is up. Uh, but Carolina. Expecting to be rolling in against uh, one of the top 10 teams in the country, welcoming them to Keenan Stadium. Uh, We do know that will be an undefeated matchup, so a lot of excitement around that one. But to close down the game against Notre Dame, let's take a look at our player of the game. I think this one, look, there were some good performances in this game. I'm going to tell you, in shocking fashion, there is nobody from the defensive side of the ball that was in consideration here. Oh, heck no. <laughs> so, um, but I... I, I Anton Green, I think, has to be mentioned. That was his best game of the year outside of the game against Georgia State early in the year. And that came, this came against a much more formidable opponent. He had a really good night. That's something you're hoping he can build on going forward. Josh Downs, 10 catches, 142 yards. Of course, he's got to be in the conversation. But to me, the guy that gave you the opportunity to win this game was Sam Howell, and he's the player of the game in this one.
1: Yeah, he had to be because he was the best player on the field Saturday night between both Notre Dame and, uh, and North Carolina. Um, uh, one of his better performances of his entire career. Ultimately, it comes down or happens, in, a, uh, fortunately, in a loss, but... Uh, I feel like he's won the award like every other week so far this season. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's
0: just – it's it really – and we're, and we're going to have this conversation in the offseason, especially if he ends up leaving. You you just hate it because this guy is it, just clearly the best quarterback that Carolina's had. No disrespect – I – I love Marquise Williams, man. He was a baller. I he was so fun to watch. He led this team to the ACC championship game, eleven straight wins.
1: He had a great year,
0: and he was a guy that was under under the radar when it when it came to looking back at some of the great overall performances in Tarheel football history. You're going to talk about a lot of running backs, a lot of wide receivers. He's the guy that was. That that just went off, and I mean, you said he had he had a great year, but do also remember that he was the guy that took Carolina on the five and one streak to end the 2013 season after Bren Renner goes down, Bates led them back to a bowl game after a horrible start. I mean, get, that, it was just a terrible one and five start to get
1: blown out by Rutgers.
0: And still led them back, uh, and it was a guy that at that time was kind of a virtual unknown. Not a lot of people really knew that what he was really going to be for Carolina so you've got a guy that is very well accomplished but it is so clear that Sam Howell is the best quarterback that's ever played at Carolina and it just feels like at this point you're 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 kind of wasting him. and and this is another game that kind of shows you that 442 yards of total offense in this game for him um Only two total touchdowns, but he had a huge impact throughout the night. Uh, You could tell that this was a game that he knew he had to put the team on his back, and he did everything that he possibly could, but unfortunately, he comes up short. So that wraps it up for uh, this edition of the podcast, guys. Make sure you head over to the website, check out uh, all the stuff that we've got up there. We've got uh, the recap of the game against Notre Dame. Go ahead and check that out. We've got our takeaways from that game. Go a little more in-depth on some of the stuff that we talked about here today, uh, where we give you uh, you know a couple of takeaways from both sides of the ball, everything like that. Um, also, another scathing piece about Jay Bateman in there. You guys definitely want to check that out. Uh, and then we'll have the stock report as well. Uh, That's... Uh, should already be up for you guys to check out, so make sure that you guys check that out. Uh, As well, we'll tell you who's trending up, who's trending down as the team heads uh, towards the home matchup against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, a highly anticipated one that we'll have you covered on on all fronts as well. Preview podcast, of course, will be up for you guys. That'll be on Thursday. The preview, uh, you know, the the article, (laughs) I, I It's a Monday, guys. The article will be up on the website for you guys to check out before the game. Uh, You know, it'll be up. uh, Try to get that up at like 12 o'clock, but again, that's pretty close to, you know, times where I'm still at work. So if it's not up then, it will be up uh, in a timely enough manner for you guys to be able to read that and get prepared for that game Uh, on Saturday. It is a 12 o'clock kick, so an early kick for Carolina. They were waiting. um, A... ESPN, ABC, AC Network, all that stuff. They were trying to basically piece together the best schedule that they could, so they ended up delaying uh, the announcement of that until yesterday. Carolina officially with a 12 o'clock time slot on that one, so uh, it is an early game, but we're definitely going to have you prepared, and then we'll have you covered afterwards. Uh, it'll be you know the recap as we always do. Uh, the stock report will be up there as well, and we'll just keep rolling through the end of the season here as Carolina comes down the stretch and Tries to find one win to pair along with that game against Wofford that you would expect that they would get, especially considering that Wofford was getting blown out at the end of the third quarter by Western Carolina the other day. So
1: Western Carolina might be the best Carolina in the state. You just don't know.
0: <sighs> I need to, you. I need you to. I need you to stop. Um, put some respect. on No, the catamounts. hey, no disrespect to our to, to our guy Evan Smoke Ludwig's catamounts, but I. Do not think that they are quite in that area just yet. That may have been their second win under their (laughs) new coach. So not a great football team. But either way, Carolina trying to find another win to go along with that Wofford win that they should pick up on senior day. Uh, they're, They're hoping to do that down the stretch, and we'll have you covered all the way through. Basketball is now nine days away from when we are recording, so eight days away from when you guys are watching this. Thank
1: God. Carolina's
0: got the exhibition scrimmage on the fifth Friday, so Friday against Elizabeth City State, um,
1: that one televised, ACC Network Extra. There ESPN you go. So plus. the plus, so the app.
0: Yeah, ba- basically you need ESPN
1: Plus. One you don't tap. have
0: ESPN Plus, you're not. What what, is, what do they say? One tap, something on the ESPN app. Okay, we we're, we're. By the way, this is not an ESPN podcast. Hey, so quick giving them free publicity.
1: Four letter network. Trying to hey, we need a sponsor. Maybe we get ESPN a sponsor. Hey,
0: first of all, when you refer to it, you need to refer to it as Dan Patrick. First. The mothership. the mothership. I love, I love that. But um, but yeah. Uh, so that that will be on the ESPN app for you guys to check out if you want to. And then of course, Carolina's game against Loyola of Maryland to open the season. That is on. Tuesday the 9th. So uh, a good start to the season there. They play Brown on Friday of that week as well. So two games in that first week as Carolina gets the Hubert Davis-era rolling and also two chances for you to catch the Tar Heels in person as well if you want to go to the Smith Center uh, for those games. Uh, I I believe there are tickets still available. Again, not an official Tar Heel podcast, so who knows. Uh, But check the website if you want to check that out. Um... But Josh will have you covered previews of all that stuff. Front court preview already up. Back court preview will be up. Yep. And uh, then, of course, he'll have the preview uh, of the game against Loyola of Maryland. If there's anything major that comes out of the scrimmage, we'll also have that.
1: Oh, no. We're going preview, recap, full analysis. I mean, you want to do that. You got The Hubert Davis era, we're going above and beyond.
0: We may have we may have in person interviews in lock.
1: Um, there will there will be a podcast night of of just me recapping the game. Congratulations! I'm looking
0: forward to that solo podcast yeah. that you're going to be doing. It'll uh be a but uh, it's it, it, definitely a lot of excitement around Tar Heel basketball uh, as they get it rolling in the Hubert Davis era. And Josh will have you cover on all of that. He is going to be busting his tail throughout the season with very little help from me. Uh But uh, again, podcast, we tell you every time, make sure that you guys check it out wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, any of those apps, make sure you check it out. And when you do, subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any additions. It'll go right into your podcast library. And when you pull it up, that new episode will be right there ready to go for you and then finally social medias make sure that if you are not already liking or following the social medias that you are facebook page is the big spot because that's where you get all the stuff in one spot the articles the audio editions of the podcast and the video editions of the podcast as you're watching here all the waveform editions that are put up as well all that great stuff is in one central location on that Facebook page, so make sure that you like that Facebook page and follow it so you don't miss any of it, and it's right on your personal timeline whenever we post something new. You can also check us out on Twitter as well. We put just about all that same stuff over there. Definitely all the articles. Definitely have the uh, one, at least one of the editions of the podcast over there, but not quite as finite and focused as the Facebook page. But still give it a follow, at KeelToughBlog. Over there. And then for our personal pages, it's at HTB Anthony for me, at HTB Josh for him, and at Hack 2 for our football recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.